We're going to jump into Genesis 40. You guys remember what you were doing 13 years ago? May of 2008. That was a while ago. Were you born? You were born. <laughs> you remember May 2008? That was a little bit of time ago, yeah? Some of you are like, 13 years is not a long time, Aaron. I was 29 13 years ago. Young pup. Church on the Rock didn't exist 13 years ago. Not at Homer. Hold that thought. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you the story. This is a great story. Joseph. What a guy. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story. Um, the next couple of steps in the story. But this is what I want you to look for. What Joseph models through his, uh, through his decisions, through his behavior. And what I want to look at through this story, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to lead up, I'm going to tell you part of the story, and then I'm going to jump out of the story, make some observations, and then conclude the story. What we see in Joseph is what, what I would consider to be stunningly simple and small steps that Joseph took in the face of horrendously unjust circumstances to fulfill his calling, meaning there was some really critical, seemingly insignificant things that he did that actually were the pathway of him accomplishing his calling, and yet they're so, they're so stunningly simple and small and, and seemingly insignificant, they're the kinds of things that we have a tendency to not even really pay attention to or just sort of ignore the value of, right? <clears throat> so you remember where we left Joseph last week, right? He's in prison. He was put in charge. We left him there for a week, but actually he was left there for a number of years. He was put in charge. And uh, it said, uh, the story tells us that, that the jailkeeper didn't even bother himself uh, tending to his responsibilities with Joseph in charge. So, some time goes by, and two of Pharaoh's staff members did something to offend him. We don't actually know what it was, but he had a cupbearer, the one who served Pharaoh's drink. This is a very important role, not just because you're a drink server, like a table busser, uh, but the cupbearer was the one who sampled the drink before giving it to Pharaoh so that if someone was going to die, it was the cupbearer, right? If the, if the drink had been poisoned. The cupbearer and the baker, who did things like baking, uh, did something to offend the king. And, uh, of course, they were both personal servants of the king, did something to offend him, and they were thrown into prison, and they were specifically thrown into the king's prison under the captain of the guard, captain of the bodyguard. So they're there with Joseph, and Joseph was put in charge of these guys. They're both in confinement. It doesn't say for how long. It just says for some time. And they both had a strange dream on the same night. Uh, 
Have you guys ever had strange dreams? Yeah. Have you ever had a dream that was like only strange in the sense, like it wasn't out of the ordinary as far as dreams go, but it was strange in the sense that you just woke up feeling strange about it? You know what I'm talking about? I've had, I would say in my lifetime, maybe five or six times where I woke up from a dream and I knew that the Lord was speaking to me through that dream. It was just as weird as any other dream, right? Um, and yet, uh, I just had a sense that it was not just a dream, right? These guys wake up and they both had dreams and they're both bothered by their dreams. They're uh, confused by their dreams. Just like you're confused by what's going on, on the screen behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and as Joseph was doing his rounds the next morning, he noticed that these two guys were dejected. So he approached them and he said, hey guys, what's going on? You don't seem like yourself. You seem kind of off. And they said, well, we both had these weird dreams and there's no one around to tell us what our dreams mean. There's no one to interpret them for us. And Joseph said, don't, do not all interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dream and let's see if God will reveal the interpretation. So the cupbearer goes first. He says, I had a dream that there was a, a grapevine growing and from the grapevine, there were three branches that came off of the grapevine. The branches blossomed. The blossoms turned into grapes. I took the grapes, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup to make wine, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said, this is the interpretation of your dream. In three days, you will be restored to your former role as the king's cupbearer. And then he says this, however, keep me in mind when it goes well for you. Please do me a kindness. Three days from now, when you get restored to your role, would you do me a favor and maybe just mention something to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison? This is in verse 14 and 15. Because I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing wrong that, that should have led to me being placed in this dungeon. Well, the baker hears this, and the baker says, wow, that's a pretty favorable interpretation. Can I tell you my dream? And Joseph says, yes. He says, well, in my dream, I had three baskets of bread on my head, and in the top of the three baskets, there was all kinds of baked goods that I had made for Pharaoh, and yet birds were eating the bread out of the basket. And Joseph said, in your case, the three baskets are also three days, and three days from now, Pharaoh is going to hang you from a pole, and the birds will eat the flesh of your body. And the baker said, I don't know if you really do interpret dreams. <laughs> it came about three days later, it was Pharaoh's birthday. And Pharaoh, on his birthday, said, hey, whatever happened to those two guys? And they said, well, they're in prison, you threw them there. Oh, yeah, yeah, bring them back up here. They bring the baker and the cupbearer back into the presence of the king, Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh looks at the cupbearer and says, I, I like you. I miss you. Puts him back in his role. He sees the baker and he says, I remember why I don't like you. And he hung the baker from a tree. Chapter 40 ends this way. And yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And another two years went by. After two years, Pharaoh is asleep on his silky Pharaoh bed. And Pharaoh has a dream. In Pharaoh's dream, he's standing by the Nile River, which of course is in Egypt. He's standing by the Nile River, and from the river, uh, from near the river, seven fat, plump, healthy cows come up and begin grazing on the, uh, the reeds near the river. And then he looks and sees seven skinny, ugly cows coming up, and he watches them for a bit, and the two groups are grazing next to each other, and then something disturbing happens in his dream. It says that the, the seven gaunt and ugly cows uh, became carnivores. They consumed the seven fat cows, and he was so uh, bothered or like weirded out by this dream that he wakes up in the middle of the night. And that was weird. 3 a.m., I should get back to sleep. Goes back to sleep. <laughs> he has another dream. And in his second dream, there's a, a, a stalk of grain that grows up, and it has seven uh, ears of grain that come off of a single stalk. And it says that the seven ears of grain were very uh, plump and healthy. And then there were seven more ears of grain that grew up that were very thin, and it says that they were scorched by the east wind. And those seven thin, scorched, dried-out stalks of grain devoured the healthy stalks of grain. Now again, you've had weird dreams, right? I don't know if you've had cows eating cows dreams. But you've had strange dreams, and sometimes you wake up and you say, that was a strange dream. And other times you wake up and you go, hmm, something's, something's going on. And Pharaoh woke up, and he was bothered. He was troubled by these dreams. In verse 8, he says, his spirit was troubled, and he sent his messengers, and he called for all of the soothsayer priests of Egypt, these ones who could divine spirits, and he called all of his wise men, and Pharaoh told all of them his dreams. And there was no one of all of his leadership who could interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So, three quick observations about Joseph. These stunningly simple seemingly insignificant small steps that he took. The first one we actually talked about last week is that Joseph, in every environment that he was in, served well. He served well. You put him in Potiphar's house, he's going to serve well. You throw him into prison, he's going to serve well. 
Everywhere that he landed, regardless of the injustice of his situation, Joseph possessed an eternal commitment to serve the people around him. And everywhere that he was, he found a way to do it. It's one of the things that sets him apart. This is, this is one of the qualities of Joseph that, that helps us understand that, that he believes some things about eternity and God's kingdom, right? That, that my humble service now matters greatly in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of eternity. He served well. Matthew 20, 26, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be a servant, right? In the kingdom of God, it is exactly 180 degrees opposite, flipped on its head from the kingdoms of men. The great ones are the ones who serve. So we've, we talked about that a little bit last week, but here's number two, and this is where it gets, uh, so this, this piece is so fascinating to me personally. Step two, so serve well, number one. Number two, pay attention to people in need. So Joseph is facing very unjust circumstances. He's been thrown in prison unjustly after he was kidnapped unjustly, falsely accused. He's in prison, and now he's in prison because he's serving well. He's been put in charge of everything, right? He's been put in charge of everything, so he's taking care of the prison. He's running things for the jailkeeper. And then one day, he's doing his rounds in the morning, and he notices that two of the prisoners are dejected sad, which is kind of an odd thing to notice because you're all in prison, right? <laughs> Was anyone like happy, like, hey, it's a great morning, you know, what a beautiful day. He's making his rounds and, and has the awareness and the sensitivity to note that two of his guys are off today. And he doesn't just note that they're off today, he actually tunes into their situation and says, hey guys, is something going on? You guys seem sad. You realize that if Joseph doesn't ask these two guys why they're sad, the whole rest of the story is off. The entire thing. This is the whole setup. Two sad guys and a Joseph who had the awareness to say, hey, are you doing all right? Is there something I could help you out with? insignificant, right? So small and mundane. And yet, the weight of the entire story rests in that moment. There's this discussion in Matthew 25. Many of you are familiar with it. standing before the king, and the king says, I was hungry and you didn't feed me, I was naked and you didn't clothe me, um, I, was, I was without a home and you didn't invite me in, and they say, when did, when did we see you? I mean, if we had noticed that, you know, the God of the universe was in need, of course we would have done something. And he says, anyone that you saw in those conditions, that was me there. And then he turns to another group and he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was alone, you came to me, you helped me. 
Uh, when I was naked, you clothed me and you invited me in. And they say, we did? When did we see you? I didn't even know you were there. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, the most insignificant one, do you understand that in that most insignificant moment when no one was even paying attention, when you tuned in to the very simple and basic needs of that person in front of you who didn't matter by any objective measure, that you were actually ministering to the God of the universe in that moment? And now you're standing before the king of the universe answering for that moment? There's Joseph in prison, just minding his own prison business. Here's two sad guys, and he says, God cares about them, I guess I care about them. Are you guys doing all right? I don't know if there's any group that I hear probably more challenged in their understanding of God's calling for their lives than young parents, parents of small children. I thought I had a calling. I just didn't know that it involved so many diapers. <laughs> what am I doing? Pay attention. Small, seemingly insignificant, mundane acts of tuning into the needs of people who need care. Joseph says, this is my whole calling. This is not my whole, not only this is my calling now, but this is the pathway to my future calling, right? In the workplace, when you come on Sunday, those moments where you're, you're in fellowship on Sunday, you look across the room and you notice, they seem unusually dejected this morning. I could be the one to go and say, you seem unusually dejected this morning. Don't say you look unusually tired. That never goes over well, right? In whatever context, pay attention to people in need. And in doing so, recognize that you are the hands and feet of Christ in that moment. This is your calling. Step number three, do what no one else can do. The two men say to him, there's no one around here that interprets dreams. That's the worst part of being in prison. I've noticed over the years that the context of church ministry and church gifting, this particular tendency, um, and without being too like, don't, don't hang me out to dry on this, but I've seen this actually more in women than I have in men, and that is a certain insecurity that comes from this is I look around at the group around me, uh, my church group, and I notice that, um, that there is a one, maybe one particular gifting that a lot of them share that I don't have. And I go, oh, well, I guess I don't really fit in. The crazy thing is that when you hear people talk like that, every person picks a different thing, and the thing they pick is the one thing that they don't have in common with everyone else, right? And they focus on that, and they go, well, you know, I guess at Church on the Rock, you have to be really good at these things if you want to be anything, and I'm not really good at those things, so, you know, I just kind of feel out of place, which is exactly opposite 
of the economy of the kingdom of God. That very thing that you're insecure about because you, you don't have that thing is the doorway to doing the thing that God has called you to do. Find the thing that nobody wants to do and do that thing. Joseph responds to these guys, oh, well, God knows the interpretation of dreams. I guess I could help you. I mean, I know God. So what are your dreams? And again, in stepping in to fill that capacity, that role that no one else was able to fulfill in that moment, Joseph is setting himself, keeping himself on the pathway of God's ultimate plan for him, just simply doing what no one else was able to do in that moment. Well, I'm not really good at a lot of things. All I can do is interpret dreams, which is weird. 1 Corinthians 12, 20, there are many members, but just one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And then he goes on to verse 24, God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, meaning that God in his uh, distribution of gifts, which he did according to his wisdom and knowledge, right? He gives you one thing and you one thing and you one thing, and then you're left going, wait, why did I get this thing? This one is lame. And God says, oh no, you don't understand. The ones that no one really cares about, those are the ones that I've compensated by everyone else's lack of consideration by giving extra consideration to that person so everything's evened out. So if you're in here this morning saying, well, my thing is so small and, you know, unimportant, I got good news. God actually likes you better than everyone else. <laughs> Look around. What is necessary? Serve and see what God does with it. For many people, this is actually the pathway that lands them in full-time ministry or or overseas mission work. It was small uh, decisions to do the thing right in front of them to serve other people in need in a way that no one else could. That's what Joseph was doing. Thirteen years later, he was sold as a slave at the age of 17. He's now 30 years old, sitting in prison. Remember, Joseph had some dreams. Chapter 41 begins, and then the cupbearer remembered. Oh, right. Uh, excuse me, sir, Pharaoh. Um, I had kind of forgotten this detail. Remember back when, not to bring up an awkward subject, but remember when you threw me in prison for a little while and I was there and then you felt bad and you let me out? Thank you for that. Uh, Also, while I was there, um, I met a a Hebrew slave and me and the baker uh, that you, you know, uh, we both had dreams, and, and this Hebrew slave interpreted our dreams, and, and, 
and they both came, they both were fulfilled exactly the way that he said they would be. And he said that he got those interpretations from God. Do you want me to go get him? And Pharaoh sent word and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon, shaved himself, gave him a shower, put some deodorant on him, put some new clothes on him, and he came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. And I've just been told that you can interpret dreams. And then Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, it has nothing to do with me. God will give Pharaoh an answer for his own good. And so Pharaoh related his dreams. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, ate the fat cows, freaky, and then seven healthy uh, ears of grain, seven skinny ones that consumed it. I don't understand what it means. And Joseph responded. Verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, listen, your dreams are one and the same. God is telling you what he's about to do. There's going to be seven years of abundance. Uh, There will be a surplus of crops for seven years. And after that seven years is over, there's going to be seven years of very severe famine, which will eat up the abundance of the previous seven years. And then, seemingly inspired by God, because it never says his motivation, Joseph jumps right in and says, and if I was you, this is what I would do. If I was you, I would find someone that you trust, someone that has some leadership ability. I would put him in charge of this plan. I would implement a 20% tax on all of the produce that's grown over the next seven years. I would take that 20%, I would put it into storage, make sure that it's under lock and key, that no one has access to it. Do that for seven years, and at the end of the seven years, you'll have enough uh, food to keep your people alive for the next seven years. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his servants. That's a great plan. And Pharaoh said to his servants, where could we find someone who hears from God and could execute this plan? And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house, and all of the people shall be obedient to you. Only regarding the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I have placed you over all of the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold necklace around his neck, and he had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed ahead of him, bow the knee, and he placed him over all of the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall so much as raise his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt." Wow, what a day, right? I got a haircut, and also I'm king of the world. Luke 16.10. He who is faithful. In the very little things, it's the same one who is faithful in much. God, would you give us, would you... uh, impressed on our hearts by your spirit, an awareness, a 
an ability to see uh, beyond the value systems of our world, beyond the moment, beyond the limitations of our own short-sightedness and, and if we're honest, our own self-centeredness. Would you help us have eyes to see the needs that you have placed in front of us, that you have uniquely positioned us uh, to care for those needs? to do the thing that no one else is offering to do, to be able to, to serve others in that way with joy, with contentment, entrusting the outcome to you and to eternity, knowing that when we do so, we suffer no loss. God, would you meet each person here in the small, simple, mundane tasks of the everyday, in a profound way, in a hopeful way. That we would see your purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.